This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowlers. Welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. I'm Elliot. I appreciate you tuning in and listening. Today, I've got a special guest, another waterfowler, another podcaster, another YouTube personality and personal friend, Titus. How's it going today, Titus? Good. It's going real good. I saw you just released today. I actually listened to it. I I joined Titus on his podcast, which he just released this morning. We're recording this on the 20th of February. So I was pretty, I thought that ended up being a pretty good episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think a lot of people did too. Yeah, so if you haven't, if you, I'm sure you guys probably have his podcast. Um, it's been, you've got over like 220 episodes at this point. I think the one with you was 228. Right, so he, you've got a lot of content on there, build up a really good following. So you guys probably have already checked out his podcast, but if you haven't, it's the MVM show. Make sure that you go and check that out. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of good stuff today. Um, the main reason that I had Titus come on here is I thought it would be really, really interesting to really talk a lot about your boat acquisition, what that's meant to your hunting career, and just kind of sit on that topic for for quite a while. But before we get to that, I do want you just to kind of share who are you? Where can people find you? What was your life like before you started filming hunts and doing the podcast and and after? What impact has that had on your life, both positive and negative? Um, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big question right there. It is. It's it's almost I know you've been doing it a lot longer than me, but that's almost hard to even remember sometimes because I think I think this is your sixth 
or this past season was year six, I think. I have to go look, but uh, maybe seven. Uh, but you know what? As far as positives go with – well, let me start over. You said to say who I am, I guess. But, yeah, I'm uh, Titus Headings out of Central California, out here on the good old West Coast. And uh, we're – I always like to preface this by, hey, not that it's wrong to be from – these big cities, but um, actually where I live is just country. It's just a lot of farmland, a lot of dairies. So I guess I consider myself kind of more of a country guy. Kind of grew up on some property on the country and had horses and all that stuff. But uh, always big hunter. Um, and my dad was a big game hunter. Always uh, elk. Elk is his thing. And we always have a big joke about it all the time because – he thinks I'm half crazy for as much as we chase ducks, and but he's got a passion with elk hunting, and actually I really enjoy it too. But nothing has my my heart like ducks. So, um, anyways, yeah, I got into it, duck hunting. The first time I went was with my dad and a friend of his from work that was really good, really good duck hunter. And I don't remember a lot of it. I just remember being cold and wet, and uh, I was nine years old. We killed the handful of birds. I actually have that picture I've posted a few times. I'm in a purple and black jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my dad cared too much about the gear I was wearing. And I, it's funny because now looking at the birds that are on that strap, there was a couple of shovelers on there. So maybe it was a generational curse to shoot those <laughs> birds or something. Uh, but anyways, yeah, we uh, – uh, had strap of birds. My dad had his dog, and it was a really cool memory. But really, when I got hardcore with it and just like I loved it, it was my passion. It was when I was 16, and Travis, it's kind of my he was my mentor, got me into it. And I always tell a story. He brought me like four greasy Jack and Box tacos at about 2:30 in the morning, and that that was the main thing I remember for that day. But ever since that's I've been going and stuff, and. uh Anyways, fast forward a bunch of years. Uh, my brother, Thomas, he wasn't hunting up until when I first started my channel. So a lot of people know Thomas, recognize his face with me. I mean, he's my hunting partner. And, you know, it's funny, the growth that I've had from YouTube and my duck hunting knowledge and I actually do accredit to that, and I think a lot of that is because you feel the pressure of those watching you, and you want to be the best you can be. And I felt like I was very successful duck hunting, but I feel like nowhere at the level I am now, not that I have everything figured out at all by any means, but I guess it just it just it keeps you in check. And it, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Oh, there's a word I'm looking for. I can't think of it right now. Basically, accountable. It right. keeps you accountable. You're posting the stuff, and I don't hide stuff, and I don't try to present something on my channel that I'm not. I feel like I'm pretty open and honest, and I know there's some things that are going to get ridicule. But um, I'm trying to go through those questions fast. But the other well, let me let me step in here for a second because I, I think that's a really good point about when you're filming because it's it's. When you're making films for YouTube and you're really trying to grow your channel, um, having successful hunts is more important than if you're mm -hmm. not filming. Yeah. And I can tell you that I've had the same impact in my life. Before I started filming, I averaged two and a half ducks a hunt. My shooting percentage was about 45. Now, yeah. here after season eight, during 
during the eight seasons of YouTube, I'm averaging like 3.2 ducks a hunt and shooting about 56%. So mm. there's been a, I can see the massive difference. And it's not, I don't think it's becoming pile dependent because I still have plenty of fun when I don't shoot piles. But it's like we're working really, really hard to build something, to grow something. Mm -hmm. And if you shoot a pile of mileage, you're, the video is going to get a lot of views. Yeah. And so it, it's right. And with people just watching what you're doing and commenting yeah. on it and, and negative comments, which I, in the comment of the week, uh, I'm going to present a comment of the week for you to talk about. But it's and it's a negative comment because anymore, I just kind of find them funny. But the, those things do. They push you. They drive you mm -hmm. to where if no one's watching your content, you're not trying to build anything. It's, it's a different feel. So I experienced the exact same thing mm -hmm. that that you were talking about. Um, I don't know if you remember where you were in your train of thought, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, uh, positive and positives and negatives. Um, man, I, th I think it's like a roller coaster. Me and you have had so many conversations. I think it's like a roller coaster of emotions over the last, I'm just going to say six years. I can't remember, but um, of letting things bother you mm -hmm. and then not, and then letting it bother you. And then finally, I really feel personally that probably the last I'll say two for sure years I could care less and it doesn't bother me. In fact, I laugh at them right. and some can be pretty insulting. I mean, if it, if it was something to my kids or something, that's a little different, which I've never had that. I mean, my kids, my family's not on my channel very much, but if it was something like that, but if it's about me, I, it doesn't bother me. I, I don't really care because if I wanted to hide that and look perfect, I wouldn't have put it in the video. So I don't really care. Now, there has been some things that I've been called out about on my channel that I'm like, you know what? They're right. They're right. That probably wasn't the best call. That probably wasn't the best thing I should have did. And I think that's how you handle that better is to really self-evaluate what people are saying. You I mean, even if it's wrong, it's like, okay, well, that's, that's a waste of my time. I'm not even going to worry about that. But I don't just look at the comments as much as I, I used to and doesn't bother me. And I've heard a lot of big names which i'm not considering myself a big name but like a lot of big names big big names how they deal with that stuff and that's actually helped me because they're like a lot of those guys won't even read the comments which i'm not like that i try to be relatable and personal to people because we are a small community in the yeah. warfowl world but a lot of the negative things i would say a lot of them have pushed me to be better and then a lot of them have helped me to listen better and not just be like they don't know what they're talking about and just listens yeah. like evaluate it, throw it in the garbage can, or take it in and learn from it. Whatever. Yeah. The, when I when positive, I first started Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, good. I wanna add No, in, go ahead. No, finish the positive and then I'll loop back around. Well to the it. positive things have way outweighed the negatives, in my opinion, in a long, long shot. And I first off, I'll say just the relationships, like mine and yours. Right. I mean to have people around you there's a lot of and i don't mean this to be an insult and someone called me uh what they call me self-righteous several podcasts ago and i was like they're like you're trying to be humble but you're still self-righteous i'm like okay whatever but there's duck hunters and i don't know how to say another better word but then there's waterfowlers there's guys that like to duck hunt and they enjoy it and that's fine because they have so many other hobbies they do other things and even if they hunt a lot they're just not 
thinking about it every waking moment. As soon as duck season's over, they're not even – it's not even a thought on their mind. Me, it's year-round. I'm thinking about what I can do better, all this stuff. So uh, the pros of the relationship is having guys like you that have that same mindset. I really enjoy it because I can talk to you any time of the year whether it's turkey season, and I like to go hunt a turkey, but I don't like it nowhere near what I like to do waterfowl, mm-hmm. you know. So having guys like you that are super, I'm going to call hardcore, for lack of a better term, is really nice to have around you because that is what makes you better. Watching some of your videos and decisions you've made has helped me learn and helped me become a better waterfowler. So those relationships um and on the spiritual aspect too you know we've talked about a lot of spiritual things and i do that a lot on my podcast um also the pros of and i'm gonna say this is on the bottom of the list because i never did this for for money or for sponsors but it's amazing being able to work with companies like rogers final approach heavy shot i never went in a million years dreamed of that honestly Right. right and and then beyond that, saying, okay, here's free ammo or here's free gear is the relationships I built with those people. And those are big-time business people, and they're smart. And they've taught me how to do business and how to have relationships and how to work with people. So, I mean, that's just two of so many I can name so many different things. And impact, impact that I feel like I've had on the young, younger generation, at least I, I hope so. I've heard a lot of good feedback, like, oh, you know, I learned so much. I love that. I love, you know, being able to say, I think I helped some people with that, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with everything that you've said. You know, the the negative comments in the comment section, certainly at first, I have really struggled with how to handle those because some of the stuff is just mean and uh and and nasty and when people when you're not used to being criticized you know before we started filming we're not used to people just saying mm-hmm. just really mean critical yeah. things most of which are garbage and there are some i think the ones that hit you in the heart a little bit are the ones that have a little truth to them yeah you know um and but that was a real struggle for me at first and i will tell you this anyone that comes on a hunt with me and is in the video, if there's anything negative about those people, I delete those automatically. Right. It's right. like the people coming out with me did not sign up for this. They right. did not sign up for people to say mean stuff about them. And so yeah. that's a, I just cut out. For the mm-hmm. most part, there is some comments. It just, it doesn't like, like I had one today on, on Rumble where a guy was just berate me about water swatting, right? And mm-hmm. that, a comment like that does not hurt my feelings. No. No. <laughs> it makes me frustrated to be like, how can you make such a big damn deal about this and just call me all these names? It's mm-hmm. frustrating because I'm just like, you are an idiot, man. Yeah. yeah. To, to have that much value and care about someone. I, and I'm not a huge water swatter, but I do water swat teal. The reason I, I will water swat teal is because traditionally, for some reason, teal flushing, I just can't hit them. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. People say it's easy. I, now, a mallard coming off the water is an easy game, but a teal is really, really difficult. Um, so so comments like that, it doesn't hurt my feelings, bother me. And there are some of them, like the ones I'm going to do in comment of the week, that I find just really funny. Um, but that, yeah. was, that was definitely a learning curve. But, again, the relationships on the positive side, 
I've talked about it before. I never saw the lifelong relationships. I could make a list of like 10 people that I'm really close with now that I only know because I started filming my hunts. And that has been such a blessing. Mm -hmm. My my closest friends pretty much at this point are, are people like, you know, like you and the flyways guy. And I met Aiden through, well, through hunting, even Jake, uh, gosh, the list just goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. It's just a fantastic, fantastic aspect of it. Um, I was going to ask you, I know that you are, your current job right now is, well, I know you flip flop back and forth. So tell me you're a helicopter pilot. Tell me what you're doing because you're not doing the medvac anymore, or are you doing the medvac still? <laughs> I am, I you am are. doing the medvac. Yeah, there was just what it is. I had done that. I was doing that for two and a half years, and then I went back to crop dusting and helicopter doing ag. But it was just a short window. It was I would almost call it contract work because I already knew I was going to come back to the metaflight job. Okay. So, um, I would say majority of my flying career has been ag. Uh, spraying crops with a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been flying for that's as long as our anniversary. So that's half the reason I remember how long we've been married. But I've been flying for 17 years. Been working as a pilot for 16, and I would say hmm, probably 12 of that has been spraying crops, and the other four has been Metaflight. Yeah, but yeah, I am doing Metaflight right now. And I really like it. Um, I've never had a job that I'm close to home. I've always had to commute, it seems like. But um, this place is 10 minutes from my house, so it's like it's really hard to beat. Have you ever thought of, because I know in the military is where you learned flying helicopters, correct? No, actually, I did that on civilian side, actually. Oh, really? So yeah. you didn't fly helicopters in the military? I was in helicopter, but I, I was a crew chief. I was like basically where the door gunner sits, but we were a Metaflight unit. Okay. So we weren't allowed to have uh, mounted guns. So, I mean, we could have our M4s and pistols, but we couldn't have, like, a mounted door gun. But that's basically what I sat right behind the pilot out looking out the side door of a Blackhawk. So then you got back from the military, and then and then you got your pilot's license? No. That's, yeah, it's <clears throat> basically, if anybody listening to this is thinking about the military, don't ever trust your recruiter. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. And you'll hear every military guy tell you that. Um, there's some good ones out there, but most of the part, they'll lie to you because they get bonuses when they sign you. But he told me, I was already a pilot. And I already had, I think, 1,000 hours, 1,200 hours helicopter time at the time. And little did I know, the reason I got in is I wanted to go fly Blackhawks. And they're like, oh, yeah, you can go straight from, straight from flight school right into or straight from the streets right into flight school. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Now I'm already a pilot. It should really be a shoe-in. And, uh, yeah, I got to, oh, no, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And what it was I found out later is the recruiters were getting better bonuses for sending guys to Blackhawk Mechanic School than they were sending them to be a pilot. So he told me, oh, you got to be a mechanic first. And you can. I'm like, I'm already a pilot. Why would they not want me? And I found out later when I got to my unit, those guys were like, oh, that guy lied to you. We need pilots so bad. And then they tried to send me when I got there to my unit. But by that time, it had been like a year and a half, and I had a six-year contract. And I was like, man, I was already seeing a lot of things in the military. I'm glad I served, by the way. But I was already seeing a lot of things that I was not happy with, with leadership and 
things that were just happening. And I was just like, I don't want to, because you'd have to go to flight school, SEER school, get your uh, warrant officer candidate school, because I wouldn't be um, like a lieutenant or something. I'd be like a warrant officer. And that was like another year and a half plus six years. You have to re-sign. I was like, nah, forget that. I'm just, I'm going to do my time. And it was actually cool. I'm, I, I have no regrets. Um, it was really cool being a Blackhawk crew chief. Um, did a lot of hoisting, hoisting the medics out. And really cool, really cool stuff. So I enjoyed it. So then you didn't do any flying at all in the military? No. And then you came back and you'd already had your... Now, so... Hold on, let me back up. What year did you go into the military? Well, okay, so this is probably what's throwing you off. So I was in the National Guard, the Army National Guard. So that's why it would allow me still to, like, work, hunt. So what happened, I got in in 2000... Let me think here. That's when I got back from deployment. 2008. I got in 2008, and we deployed... We didn't deploy to Afghanistan until 2013 with the Metaflight unit, and there was quite a bit of action going on, believe it or not, in 13. I thought it was kind of over, thought it was dead, but there was a ton of things going on. So yeah, from 13 to 14, for a year, we were in Afghanistan and training in uh, Texas as well. So that's where I was gone, completely gone. And then at the beginning of when I signed, I was gone for boot camp and uh, what they call AIT, like your technical training. So that was kind of, that was around eight or nine months I was away too for all that. So at that time, most of the conflict was Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you were deployed to Af- Afghanistan? Yeah. And how, how much time did you spend in, in Afghanistan? Um, it was like a little over nine months. We trained and they call it uh, pre-mob, pre-mobilization. Basically, we were in uh, Fort Hood, Texas, which I hate that place. <laughs> that place <laughs> is a drag. But we were there for three months, basically, training to go to Afghanistan and um, then we went over to Afghanistan for a little over nine months but yeah it was uh, there was a lot of stuff going on we were deployed to the west side of Afghanistan which is supposedly not as crazy as the east side but uh, there was still a lot of lot of action honestly a lot more than I thought I didn't think nothing was going to be going on but I mean anytime you would fly at night and you were wearing your night vision goggles I mean you just see rounds going through the air all over the place so really? it was it was still pretty hot honestly um, and I got your permission to ask this because I don't know what the etiquette is when it comes to, I, I have no clue about military life, just none at all. So I never, I'm quite sure like what is the etiquette for asking people about their time on deployment. So just so everyone knows, I did get your permission to ask this question. Do you have any stories or any experiences from your time in Afghanistan that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I could think of one specific story, um, it's, it's a really gut, it's a gut wrenching story and it's really hard for me. I have a lot of friends that had a really good time in the military. And when I say good time, meaning they had good leadership, I, and I'll say this and I don't care if whoever knows my leadership hears it or if they hear it cause they were terrible. And what happened is a lot of those guys were getting to where they want a career progression. All they cared about is getting the next rank. And that's how I seen it anyways, I felt because there was some there people died because they were trying to to make decisions that would not put them 
they basically cared more about their career progression than they cared about the, the person that was dying or hurt. You know what I mean? But this specific story is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get as mad as I used to because I've probably told it a lot of times. But we got this, they call it, you know, a medevac. They call in, request a medevac. So on the helicopter, it's the pilot in command, the co-pilot, for lack of military terms, the medic, and then myself, the crew chief. That's who goes on that mission. Now, in the back of a medevac helicopter, the crew chief is, he's almost like an EMT because that's not what he went to school for. But because when you're taking three, four, five guys in the helicopter with you and they're all bleeding out, you've got to help. There's no way that the medic can do all that. So I knew how to do IVs. They, If they had certain drugs they wanted to push, I could push it through the IV, whatever. Like, I was stop the bleeding, whatever. So, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed helping. I really do. And, um, I've used a lot of that back at home too when needed. But, um, so we get this medevac. Is everything good, Elliot? Yeah. Okay. I seen the screen go off, but we get this oh, medevac. My, my, so my rush... screen's off. Yeah. It's probably just cause the connection faltered for a second. So don't worry about it. Okay. No problem. So anyways, I, uh, <clears throat> We get we run, rush the helicopter again and we take off. And the good thing is, we had some backup. So the Marines, their aviation unit went with, went with us, which was a, um, a, a an Apache, a Marine Apache, and a Marine gunner ship, which is at uh, Huey. So we had plenty because usually we didn't have no air support, but this was a hot LZ. So we knew there was a lot of Taliban on the hills, and we're kind of in this little valley right down in the middle of it. And so we're, we're guns ready going in there. And it was, what happened was is because it was as narrow Valley, the Taliban was up on the hillside shooting down into these guys. I mean, they're like shooting fish in a tank. A lot of, a lot of guys that were shot up. I don't know how many died there, but a lot were hurt bad, but no American guys. Okay. Cause our American guys will travel with what's called like the Afghan police or whatever to kind of escort them. And that's what was happening here. They were escorting him through this valley, and uh, they had shot him up. Taliban shot him up pretty bad, so we were going there. We come in. We go to a lead and a chase, Black Hawk, with the same crew members. Boom, we land in, and the the Marine guys are circling around trying to keep their heads down. Uh, the Taliban, so we run out, and, I mean, there's guys everywhere. I actually have some of this on my head cam on my YouTube channel, old, old video, a little bit of footage from that. Really? Yeah. It's you were wearing a, you were wearing a head cam while you were doing that job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is that a requirement or just doing it for just, uh, we weren't supposed to. Yeah. I don't know what the name of it was. It was just like a little tube I wore on the side of my helmet. Uh I don't even know. I'm sure GoPros are out then, but GoPros are too big. This was just a little round tube. Yeah. We weren't, we weren't supposed to, they didn't want us wearing nothing, but I did anyways. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, pretty crazy footage. But, anyways, we, we picked these guys up, and we're loading it down. I mean, I think we had three three or four laying across the bottom, and then we had one that could actually walk, but he was shot in the arm or something. So he sat on the back seat. We're loading guys in, and we're trying to get out of there as fast as we can. I mean, the helicopter's so loud. You don't know if you're getting shot at or not, to be honest with you. But uh, we're loading them in, and this E6... Actually, I got a picture of him on my wall over here. He's the one helping. He's on my video, and he's like, he's talking to my medic. And my medic wore one too. I I spliced ours together, 
He's like saying what, how many shot this or that. He's giving us the information. We're kind of, you know, everybody's yelling at each other because it's loud. We take off. So that same guy, we lift off. We get those guys, and I'm doing IVs. The medic's doing IVs. He's doing really critical patients. I'm just giving some IVs. That's all in the video. <clears throat> we take off. We're headed to, the, like, the hospital, which is, like, a 30, 40-minute flight back to more civilization. This was out in the sticks. I mean, mm -hmm. like, nothing. Get over there. Drop them off. We get back to our base. We kind of think it's over with. We're shutting down. <clears throat> and we get another medevac. And we're like, what? Like, we're starting to put our gear back on. That guy, the American soldier that was got shot right after we left, very bad shot. It actually went, but so we're wearing body armor. The only thing that's not covered is your your arm, your you know your head and all that, your legs. But I guess I don't know what happened, but somehow the bullet went in his armpit in between mm. where his body were. So that's a, I mean that's a bad, that's a life threatening shot. So we're putting our gear on, we're about to go, and we're waiting for approval. Like, what's taking so long? Now, we actually have an American soldier out there that's bleeding out now, not just Afghanis and no less compassion, but, I mean, that's the main reason right. we're there. Right. And they say, stand down, stand down, because we're, I mean, we're close. We're, like, 20 minutes from LZ. We've already been there. We're already familiar with it. And they say, stand down. We're sending in another unit that's, like, 45 minutes to an hour away because they haven't got to do any medevacs. They've been in oh, country, and they're at an geez. area that's slow. Yeah. I was, it's Actually, now I talk about it, it does start getting me mad again because the stupidity. You have a human life here on the line. Right. You have an American soldier. We're 20 minutes away, maybe 15. It might have been 15 minutes. But you want to send somebody else because they haven't got to get their hands dirty. That's sickening yeah. to me. Is like, there a lot of stuff me... like that that happens in the military? I don't know if a, a lot. It, it happened a lot in our unit, and it just really just just bittered me. I mean, I really had to deal with that a lot, and I got done, and really had to have pray about that and have the Lord help me with that because that took a long time. I get so a little worked up about it, but it just put a lot of anger in me, and like I hate to use this word because I've never felt this way about anybody, but I. I think I was tipping the scales of hate, honestly, in my heart because right. it's just that wasn't the first time it happened. And I can just think of that guy, and it's not like this anymore, but I used to think of that guy and just think not good thoughts, man. Right. Like, and do you know the guy that was shot? Did he end up being okay, or did you ever find no, out? No, he died. Oh, no, he, and he had a while. Was, do you think maybe that was part of the reason? Because if you had got there earlier, he could have lived, or would he have died? Do you think? Anyway? I asked the medics about that, and they said they ha he had a good chance. He had a good uh. chance, and he had a wife uh, and two or three kids. I mean, because I have the thing they put in the military, the army news. They'll put papers out with those that are lost in battle, and I have his picture from my cam, and I have you know his rank and a pic like an actual good picture of him in his you know dress uniform. And I, he had two or three kids at home, wife and two or three kids. So. Oh, that's unbelievable. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I can see why you, it would bring up such emotion in you. I appreciate um, you volunteering to go and serve and, and doing everything that you did. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we will be right back on the North American Waterfowler Podcast. 
ticking time bomb. And I'm about to explode. I got a nuclear reactor deep down in my soul. I'm 30 seconds from a meltdown. Blood is running red hot through my veins. I got a heavy metal fury. I'm coming for pain. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so here we go. We're going to get into the Waterfallon stuff. I, I, I love that extra content. I didn't know any of that stuff about you. And, um, yeah, that's really, really, really interesting stuff to learn about you, Titus. Um, so we're going to jump into a segment I call the Comment of the Week. And I kind of scour whether it's YouTube or people commenting on Instagram and I just want to pull out things that I find interesting. In fact, my last podcast was 100% comment of the week where a guy was asking me about <laughs> layout boat hunting and I just did a deep dive on, on, that's a question I get asked all the time about layout boat hunting. And, hmm. and so I did a full 45 minutes on that, but so here we go. We're going to start in on the comment of the week. It's time for the comment of the week. So this, um, we're moving into into snow goose hunting. And are you doing any snow goose hunting this year? I actually have 24 acres, 2,400 acres that I have permission in Northern California. I thought I'm going to try to, yeah, snow and spec. Sweet. Now, how, long, how late is spec open for you guys? In the north zone, it I believe it's March 10th. Wow. But here, like where I'm at, it's, um, I think it's over on Tuesday. So tomorrow or Wednesday, I can't remember. I don't got nothing here, so I don't even worry about it. But yeah, yeah. ours isn't very long here in our zone. Uh, so that's cool you're good, because I don't think you've done a lot of snow goose hunting in the past, have you? I'm complete, complete novice. Like, I have, I can barely do a spec call. I haven't even touched a snow call. So. Right. Well, I'm certainly no kind of masterful snow goose hunter. I, I'm not big into laying in, a, in an ag field all day. Uh, which mm-hmm. a lot of snow goose hunting is laying in ag fields all day. And the setup mm-hmm. takes forever. And so I'm not a huge snow goose guy. But what I do really, really love is getting out once or twice. It's typically a one weekend out of the year, which it's going to be a couple weeks from now, where I go out and we camp and we, we stock the snow geese. So we've got a place yeah. where they get in by the thousands. And we get up in the morning, and we get in the dark, and we try to put ourselves in a position for a great flyover. We normally don't flock shoot, although last year, Aiden and I did. We got a little situation. We put down like 42 birds. Um, but that's not normally what we're doing. We normally just stalk and put ourselves in a good position 
for birds to come over, and I want to shoot three to five snow geese. I don't want to shoot 100 snow geese that I have to clean and eat. I really, really don't. Um, but I'll take three to five. Um, but my main thing is getting as close as possible to these massive snow geese and just witnessing it and watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's just spectacular. When you get 50,000 plus snow geese, snow geese on a marsh, because they're neurotic birds. They get up, they sit back down, they get up. They're, they're constantly moving. Yeah. And I just... It, and there's ducks flying everywhere, pintails in full plumage. It's the only time I get to see blooming teal in full plumage. So for me, it's like more of a waterfowl, waterfowling spectator. It's But mm-hmm. I want to get a great pass where I can shoot a double or a triple. So over the course of the weekend, if I could shoot seven to eight, uh, you know, it's like we do a stock in the morning, stock in the night. And in between the day, we're just hanging out in the marsh, hanging out at the campsite. Yeah. It's just it, beautiful weather. So that's kind of our whole our whole goal of it. Um, because I just don't want to put that much time or money into all the setting up of. I have shot them over decoys, but um, yeah. it's just not really my thing. So mm-hmm. I put out a video about three years ago where we ended up only shooting one snow goose. It was Aiden, Corn, and myself, and we got. But the viewing we got on this thing was probably one of the best ever. I mean, we got really close to them, and they were hanging out at about eighty yards a lot, which I'm not going to not going to shoot that. But we the, the 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 visuals we got were just spectacular, mm-hmm. and I and the video actually blew up. Ended up doing like seven hundred and fifty thousand views. Um, it, it was it's a really really cool video. But we only shot one bird, so that this is where this comment comes from. And at the beginning, the first half of this video, we're just doing a lot of horsing around and joking and and giggling, you know, um, yeah. just kind of having fun. And so this guy this guy says. Uh, this is the worst video I have seen. These three fools have no clue about stalking, shooting, or calling birds. At the first half, that was the video of just wanting to be funny and how to be stupid. Grow the hell up and learn about hunting and making a hunting video. Sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> Your response. Go ahead. Respond to that guy. <laughs> oh, get lost. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what do you say to that? I know. comments as stupid as anything. No, that's... <laughs> And you know what's funny is how we make videos and they're old and he still gets comments on them. You I know? know, I know. Yeah, I don't. Do you still record? Like, okay, for that instance, that's a three years old video. You said, yeah, uh huh, yeah. Do you do you respond to videos that old? Uh, not comments like that. I don't respond yeah, to comments yeah. like that. I, but comments like that are what's funny to me. Yeah, that's because hilarious. he must be a super serious guy. Super, we're just out there clowning around, having fun. You know, yeah. joking around the camaraderie and. And yeah, I, I just find videos like that to be really, really funny. Um, yeah. Those videos that end up over like 500,000 or even when they get up to like 100, 200,000, YouTube pushes them out to a lot of foreign places. So you start getting a lot of comments from Russia, from um, India, and some of those comments are pretty funny too. Here's another one on the same video. Uh, you played with us. The birds surrounded you. And in the end, you only shot one bird. You are a hunter. You are losers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not a hunter. You're not a hunter. You're, you're not a, a loser. Oh you must have uh, really got that guy's emotions going and not wanted to see I a did. lot of dying. He did. He was, <laughs> it, it was epic, though, because it's like there was just so much footage. Of, and on the video, it looked like the birds were real close. but they And they were surrounded, but they were like 80 to 150 yards. And then we did end up with one little goose out of the, out of the whole deal. But... <laughs> 
I thought that was oh, cool. the, the, that's the type of video that just cracks me, or the type of comment that I just find hilarious. Right, right, yeah. I, there's not, no response to that. There's nothing you can say. No, there's nothing you can say, and it doesn't even make you mad. You just giggle and shake your head. Yeah. Um, so let's let's get into your stuff here. Um, that was the comment of the week, uh, and I want to get into to boat your big boat hunting. So you have now hunted with um, what boat did you end up with? We have the, uh, I don't want to mess it up here, the 1754 Gator Tail 40 horse. 40 horse. So uh, it's, it's a timber, wonderful boat. Basically with a timber deck. Oh, yeah. Really good boat. Really good boat. Beautiful, motor. beautiful boat. So when I first started watching your videos, what I saw, and you correct me in place that I'm wrong because I haven't seen all your videos, but I saw you guys hunting lots of refuges in California and you were having to extend your range, you know, 35 to 45 for a mm-hmm. most of the shots just because the birds wouldn't decoy. You got this boat. You started doing a lot more traveling. And your success, the last, I, I wish you had your bird per hunt numbers. I wish I, I maybe I'll pull them up while you're talking. But yeah, your, bird, your bird per hunt numbers over the last two years have been mind-blowing. I think you almost last year were like five, five birds a hunt. Uh, yeah, actually it was really high. Is and it's you're just killing so many more mallards, and you're killing them feet down. It's like, yeah. My my view of it is, and I don't know if it's all the boat or I think it maybe it's the boat plus traveling. So, yeah. um, I want to get into all that, but before because I want to I want to talk about how has the boat changed your hunting, and how has how how much do you use it on a lot of these? Are you using them on all the hunts? But beforehand, why, why did you, before we get into all that, and if you come up with those numbers, if you let, let Yeah, I will. Out. Yeah, I will. But why did you make the the selection for the particular boat that you got? How much research did you do? Why did you pick that? And tell me the name of it again. It's a Gator Tail um, 1754 with the 40, 40 horse on it. Right, Gator Tail. And, so and, what, and I'll what, tell you right now, I, I didn't do research, honestly. We had talked about a boat. Thomas actually, I think Thomas was mentioning it before I was about getting the boat. And I was like, yeah, we need to. Didn't know how we were going to go about it. There's really no dealers here in California for that kind of stuff. It's all out of state. And the motors on most of these boats are not California compliant, which is a joke. It's just stupid emissions. Just carbon emissions? Cal- oh, geez, yeah, California. it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is stupid. But um, what had happened, actually, and it's okay to say this, I'm I don't mind saying this two years ago. Cause we only, we've had a duck boat for two seasons, two years ago over. So two and a half years ago, a guy that worked for Gator tail. Did he email me? I think he emailed me and said, man, Hey, I love your stuff. What are you guys thinking about? What do you guys think about doing a, um, Oh, what did they call it? I never heard this term before, but basically like a sponsorship boat like mm-hmm. they give you the boat for the season mm-hmm. and then at the end of season you can sell it or give it back to him and get a, n- a new one the next year and i'm like i call Tom's. i'm flipping out i'm like dude you're never gonna believe right. this like this company's gonna send us a boat I, i'm out of my mind i looked him up i've heard of gator tells but didn't look much into him because we hadn't even started looking for boats yet i'm losing my mind i'm like dude talk about i mean this is epic like we're gonna get a $25,000 boat for free, blah, blah, blah. And this was, this was really COVID. It was really bad. So what had happened is they, they've done this for people before. 
this company and a lot of companies will do that, I guess. I didn't know till then. But they'll it's like a lease, I guess. You don't have to pay nothing. They just want to get their name out there. Well, with COVID, they were thinking that it didn't, the sales were not good, supposedly. I guess they were not doing good on sales. They were really worried about it. So they wanted to push this pro- their product out to guys like us that could promote them and try to get more boat sales going on. I was stoked out of my mind. Thomas was stoked. We're looking up. We're picking everything out. Had a meeting with the owner. Great guy. And uh, then right as we're about to get the order in, they call up. Oh, man. I'm sorry. We're getting tons and tons of orders. We can't keep up with everything. Hmm. We're not going to be able to do the free boat. But if you want to still get a boat, we'll give you a really good discount. And they Mm -hmm. did. They gave us a really good discount. We decided we still want to do it anyways because we wanted to get a boat. We wanted to start traveling and doing stuff. Actually, we had already started traveling four years ago. But we realized, man, if we had a boat, the places we've been going, if we had a boat, it would just skyrocket our opportunities. And so we went ahead and ordered it. They gave us a really good deal. Um, and that's where it started. I don't, I, that, that was how we fell into getting a duck boat. It's kind of a really weird way, but yeah. Yeah. And, um, have you, do you have any qualms with the boat? Any problems at all? Or has it just been perfect? No, honestly, um, let me try, let me try to think of a negative. I really am. Cause I don't like sound like that guy. Um, I don't get nothing for them. It's not like that kind of relationship. Um, I really can say I have not had one complaint. Um, we've got almost a hundred hours on it. Uh, in two seasons, which I don't feel like it's too bad. I think there's a lot of guys that put a lot more than that on it. But mm-hmm. we put we put her to work, I can tell you that. Um, just the access that we can get to things, having that flat bottom with the mud motor. And I will say, most places we go, most of the guys around us have outboards. And they mm-hmm. kind of look at us like we're stupid for having that. And they probably partially right. But in my opinion have an outboard and you run onto a rocky bank or you run over a rock island that you didn't see submerged underwater, that ain't going to be good for an outboard. Right. The mud motor will kick up. You jack your prop up a little bit, but that's the worst thing that's going to happen. So I, I'll i do it again. I'm going to stick with the mud motor, honestly. So you're not running in places that um, traditional props can't get? You're not going in shallows? We have been. We have been in a couple. And I can tell you, yeah, there's been a few times, but I would say 90% of our hunts are not like that. We don't even need what we're using. But my question is, it's the same concept as having not having four-wheel drive with the truck. You never use it. You never use it. But what about that one time you need it? Then right. you wish to God you would have got four-wheel drive. And I've been in those situations before yeah. with my truck. So I'm like, I'm never leaving home without it. But no, And you never know when you want to make a big trip out to a specific big marsh. Exactly. Where you're going to use exactly. it. And, and when we have used it, okay, I'll tell you this. This season... We had about 10 hunts. I didn't video them. I haven't talked about them. At some point, I think I will do a podcast. <clears throat> but I was Marco and you guys talking about the hunts of my life. I mean, the yeah. floodwater hunting that we had mm-hmm. could not have done it without that boat. And so just having that boat for that 10-day window was worth every dime right. spent. And that's a big part of waterfowl hunting. It's like you have pieces of equipment that you may not use for five, six years, 
But then when you use it, you may use it for a week and tear them up because, like, I've got layout blinds, which I don't use anymore. But I know there's a time coming yep. when it's going to be active. I'm going to need it, and it's there. And that, that's that's yep. big. So where are um, what? How how has having the boat changed your hunting? Oh man, I'll tell you, Ellie, the biggest thing. I think we had a conversation about this when I was out there with you hunting me, you and Jordan, and a guy kind of came in close, which wasn't refuge close, but it was too close. Like there was no point of that guy coming right. as close as he did. But the biggest thing has been is getting away from people. Mm-hmm. And that's always been any waterfowl that takes duck hunting serious. That's your dream is to get away from people and feel like you're out there by yourself right. on the, on the moon with not another yeah. soul around you. And that's exactly what that's done. House guys, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I almost want to say guys with boats etiquette's almost better. But then again, I don't want to say that's true because I've had some instances. But for the most part, I think those guys have the same mindset that I do. That's why they put the money into the boat. So they don't want to be nowhere. And they see you, bummer. I should have got here earlier. And they go away. Well, and it's know? easier to boat away from someone than walk yeah. away from someone. Then hike all I your think, stuff, yeah. Right. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, oh, man. I could, I could, we could do a whole episode on this. I could talk for hours on. One guy told me, and I said, I'm using that. I go, I'm stealing it from you. He said, my boat is my duck lease. And that's exactly yeah. how I feel about it. It's my piece of heaven that I can, I'm responsible and I can go find to get away to find the ducks to scout, which that's another topic. I'd rather not scout if a boat, if I don't have to, if I could do it from land and do through binoculars, if I have to do it with the boat, that's fine. I'll do it. I've done it. I will continue to do it. <clears throat> I know flushing birds up. Sometimes it can come back and bite you in the rear end. Right. But, um, it's just created a whole, the success ratio on the hunts has went way up. The, the, the enjoyment of just being, mm-hmm. I like being on the boat. It's fun. Yeah, it is. It's a blast. It's just fun the scenery things that you're passing by you get to see i mean it's just it's kind of surreal honestly like me i can't think of how many times like if thomas is driving the boat i look back and just big old cheesy grin and he just same grin back we're not speaking <laughs> words but we just know like this is epic yeah you know? and i tell you those souped up motors give you touch your uh, masculine man feelings a little bit too. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like running like a, a chainsaw it's like you yeah. know it's like a little home improvement. Oh, oh, oh. You know? It is. He runs his power tools. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Sure. So what type of places are you guys hunting now? Are they uh, river channels? or And, and is most um, of the time you're using the boat, are, what percentage for your hunts are you traveling north? And how much percentage of those hunts are you using your boat? And what is the terrain like where you're hunting? Um, a lot of it's been big river. Uh, and some small channels and then marsh more so in California has been marsh. I, I guess it doesn't matter. We, I like, I usually, normally, I guess we don't say where we go, but it doesn't really matter. If you've been there, you're going to see, but like, uh, we like Washington, we like mm-hmm. Idaho and, uh, you know, those places up North, uh, Washington, Idaho, very, very rocky. A lot of them are rocky with a lot of sandy, um, shallows. Really, and uh, so you could definitely be running into some rocks, and there's there's a lot of advice and tips I could give for that, but I'll uh, 
that might be some stuff I just keep on my own right. my own knowledge right here. But <laughs> yeah, a lot of that is a lot of it's a rocky river bottom stuff that we're hunting. And um, when we go out of state, and I would say we've kind of kept it around three to five trips a year. I know I do a little bit more than Thomas because with my work schedule, I have a week on week off, which is amazing. <clears throat> Not quite as good as Jake's from Chasing Green, but right. um, it's pretty good. I mean, I can't complain. So I use those weeks off to go hunting out of state. Me and Thomas get to do about three together, and then I'll do a couple extra on top of that with some friends that we hunt together a lot with. And but so you would average if I go, we usually go for about three days, two days of driving, three days of hunting. It's five days total but hunting is three so maybe 15 days out of state so nothing crazy mm-hmm. i mean i'm still hunting i think i actually hunted out of the boat here this year almost as much as i did out of state but that was only because we had those floodwaters too so it, it would have definitely been more out of state out of the boat yeah so what is and you're shooting mostly mallets not all but a vast majority mm, you know what usually this year it is more mallards. I would definitely say more mallards. No, no last year you them. shot like 75 mallards. No, I Rick. shot, I think, last year, I'll have to go look. I want to say I shot close to 100. Oh, drakes, yeah. It was probably, I think I was at like 80-some drakes, 90 drakes, and 10, 12 hands, something like that. My mallard numbers actually weren't as high as they were last year. But I, I went this year with a little bit of a different mindset. And I might kind of get scolded for saying this from some people. And that's okay. I, I kind of get it. I I feel like I'm more in the high. You know how you go through those stages of your waterfowling career where what matters to you changes over the years. And right. It's not all about limits and all that. Well, I'm I feel like that's where I'm at. I'm not to the point where like I don't care about shooting anymore because I know some older guys that say that. And I used to say I don't understand that mindset. Now I can say I can see that. I can see when you've been hunting for 40, 50 years where it's not that big of a deal for you. I can totally see that. <clears throat> I'm not there yet, but I almost reverted backwards this year, Elliot. And I'm kind of curious to see what your thoughts would be. So don't judge me too harshly for this. <laughs> but I spent the last two or three years really putting in time scouting and uns- unsuccessful hunts for the end goal. Like I knew my hunts and my numbers would suffer for a couple years because I wanted to find some more stuff. And in order to do that, you got to have a lot of unsuccessful hunts, right? Right. I mean, you can scout your tail end off, but your stuff, stuff's going to go wrong. Stuff's going to happen. <clears throat> so that's what I've been doing. And I said, okay, I put all this work in for the last two years, finding new places, flying new areas, tons of not good hunts. And I said, this year, I've got it dialed. I have tons of uh, Onyx, you know, pins that I know I'm going to do good. Almost it don't even matter when I, what time of year I go, how the weather is, whatever, I'm going to do good. I told Thomas, I said, this year, duck's blood will flow to the reins of the horses. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm out to kill this year. And it's a little selfish, I guess, because I didn't take as many and hunt with as many different people as I normally do. So I don't have no regrets. But I almost don't like saying that publicly because it kind of makes me sound like whatever. I don't know. But I, I just – I took this year. I had some personal goals. I put the camera back. I did a lot of different things this year. I put the camera back a ton. 
I had, I finally pulled these numbers up. I had, I thought I had one more than that. I guess I only had 39 hunts this year. I had like 60 some last year. Um, I filmed only like 17 hunts hmm. out of those 39. I, uh, only put 11 out this year. <clears throat> um, went really hard and, and pushed myself really hard. And, uh, there was one day I was lazy and I kicked myself. I kicked myself for that because we missed out on a big deal just, just to get another 30 minutes of sleep. But other than that, I mean, kicked myself really, really hard for that and pushed ourselves. And this is my best year ever for the amount of hunts, bird numbers and all that stuff. Um, I had a personal goal. I don't even want to say what it was, but I hit that goal. And now I kind of feel that. All right, let that go. You did it now. Don't be so, so blood hungry, I guess. All right, but, so I've got I've got your numbers pulled up too because I'm freelance hunt stats. Um, Ty, uh, or Titus and I are in a crew together, so I can look at his numbers. I can't look at his location data, but I can look at everything else. And here are your numbers for the two years with a boat. These are mine. These are better than I even thought they were. This is mind blowing. Oh, you got oh, okay. You got last year too. Yeah, I, I put the two years together. Okay. So these right, are combined two years with a boat. Five point okay. one birds per hunt. That number. Now, you guys can shoot seven, but that number, 5.1 birds per hunt, is mind-blowing. Yeah. My lifetime is 2.9. Since yeah. I've been doing FDH, it's like 3.2, 3.3, which is anything in the threes to me is great. Four is spectacular. Five, if I didn't know you personally, five's the level of going, you think I was lying? really? Are you serious? <laughs> are you, are you, log now, and, and I, did you log all of your hunts on here, even the zeros? Yes. Actually, um, unbelievable. Yeah, I put those in there too. 133 Mallard Drakes, 372 ducks total in those two years. That's insane, Titus. Yeah, it's on only 72 hunts, 72 hunts, and 372 birds with 133 mallards. That is crazy. Yeah, I'm curious what the year before that, like, just yeah, it's let me do it. Let me do a sort of the two years before that, real quick, while you're talking. Okay. Yeah, it's, I know, and I almost, it's funny you say that about almost not believing, because I don't blame you, because I look at that, I'm like, surely, I, did I miss, because, Elliot, that is every hunt in there, and I'm serious, I did not have, I to me, that's luck, right? I'd rather, what do they call that, I'd rather be lucky than, what do they say, talented or something, I can't remember, because yeah. this year, I never had no skunks, which is insane, and every hunt I had... I just couldn't believe how good of it was just luck. I'll just put it that way. It's luck because yeah. it just that just don't happen. That's why I okay. said I better enjoy it because I'm the most unlucky person I've ever met. But for some reason, in duck hunting this year, I have been so I'm gonna say lucky. It ain't fortunate. I'm just lucky. Well, just you've not... got the right tools. You've got the knowledge to do it. You know what you're doing. It's not luck. It's like preparation. We talked about we we mentioned this on your podcast. Preparation and effort or something comes together. Opportunity, yeah. It's not just like you're walking out and like, oh, there. Okay, so here are your numbers. Your two previous years. So in the last two years, you've hunted seventy-two times, and the previous two years, you hunted seventy-one times. So these are the great comparisons. Hmm. Which you still had good numbers, but you averaged three point six ducks per hunt versus five point one. You shot. Here's the big one. In those two years, which is is two thousand nineteen, two thousand twenty, or no, twenty twenty. Anyway. 
you shot 32 Mallard Drakes. So you went from 30, you were averaging 16 Mallard Drakes a year to almost 70 Mallard Drakes a year mm. in those differences. And 3.6 is great numbers. Now, those Mallard Drake numbers are not very good. Those you were shooting mostly mm. wing wing teal. Um, yeah. But to go from 3.6 to 5.1 and shoot 101 more Mallard Drakes in that time span. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I mean, honestly, I, I will definitely give a lot of that credit to the boat, honestly. Right. I mean, you know, and then the first year with it, you're still trying to figure stuff out. So that probably was why last year my I mean, my success was good, but there was a lot of hunts that were really rough because it was all theirs, which we'll all do, right? If you are a hard enough duck hunter, you'll just, that's just what you do. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't realize that. I'm glad yeah, you brought those numbers insane. up because I can't insane. believe how much of a difference. <clears throat> yeah, really. You know what and, I tra- uh, You know what I like? You know what I like tracking my shoot my shooting percentage this year too? Because I want to know how many shells I'm using, like how many cases or boxes mm-hmm. of ammo am I using too, yeah. you know? Just out of curiosity. And you and, were shooting, ten, on average, 10 shots a hunt over those last two years where you're averaging five, 10 shells a hunt. 10, rough. So my shooting must have been better last year. Um, I don't think you tracked shooting since last year, but <clears throat> oh, that's true. But yeah. that's right at fifty. I... I mean, if you're averaging, if you shoot ten shells and you average five ducks, you're right at fifty. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Not included yeah. if they're on the water. I so, wish. I, mean, I wish so bad I would have been tracking my shots the whole time. Yeah, we talked a lot about it on Tyus's podcast about keeping shooting percentage, and it's a turnoff for a lot of people. But if you're the type I don't of guy, I don't know why though, Elliot. Well, I don't really I think know why. Just, people not want to know the truth. I, like I think it just takes too much discipline. Yeah, to not, to to track them. I'm to the point now; it's so ingrained in my head that I'm like, oh, for one, one for one, one for two, two for three. I don't even you have can't to count even help shots. yourself, huh? I can't even stop it. I wouldn't. I, I, I love it. Either. I just absolutely. It's my one of my favorite things. You come out yeah. with like a six for six, and it's just, it's just really fun. <laughs> it's really fun. that's good shooting, man. Yeah. I don't think I I didn't do no seven for sevens this year. I think I had maybe one eight shells for seven birds, maybe two. But you know Jordan yeah. Neely from Jordan's Harvest. He was on that collab yeah. with us this year. I watched yeah. in one of his videos. He went fifteen for fifteen on doves. Holy smokes! Doves are hard That's to hit. Hard. Yeah. That's hard. I couldn't do that. I, I couldn't either. I couldn't. Believe. I was watching the video and I was like, he was at about thirteen out of thirteen. I'm like, I don't think he's missed. And he didn't talk about it until he had done it because he didn't want to jinx himself. And then yeah. he's like, 15 for 15. I'm like, damn, I went uh, 15 for 24 this year. And I felt like I had shot all world. Because yeah. doves are hard. My dad oh, one time out dove hunting was 15 for 75. <laughs> <laughs> we went pigeon hunting the other day. My goodness. I think the lead I put on them, the lead is different. Because I was talking to Nathaniel. I was like, are you guys put, leading them or are you just putting it right on them? Because they were coming in close, you know. They were close. It's a blast. Pigeon hunting's actually a blast. Mm. But um, he's all, oh, we're putting it right on them. As soon as I did, they were exploding. I'm like, man, I'm trying to lead them like a duck, I guess. I don't know. You had but, to lead them more? No, let, put it right on them. Oh, okay. Like, okay. I guess they're not moving as fast as you think they are. But yeah, Well, I can't wait I'm to see crazy. what your shooting percent numbers end up with. Because I've hunted with you and your brother. And hunting those refuges, you guys have have to been a little more aggressive with your shooting than I've yeah. had to growing up. You guys are excellent shots. Um, I mean, well, I'm a good shot at birds that are easy. You guys are good shots just in general. Um, you know what, though? That's funny you say that because we, when we 
a lot of our hunting has been out of the boat a lot of the season and a lot of places we were hunting was just get we could get the birds in close right and then you go back to the refuges that you would hunt more mm-hmm. and i could tell i could tell our shooting at those normal refuge shots which i hate saying that because that's what people take my words and say stuff about me about like oh you can't decoy birds in refuge no i'm not saying what i'm saying but for the most part my shooting uh those days hurt me. I had two or three days. My numbers could have been better than that by a long mm-hmm. shot. But those two or three hunts, man, I'm on my last shell of my yeah. box. I'm on shell 25, and I'm right. like, I thought I was shooting so good, too. And I'm like, I'm not walking back. Like, at a refuge, you can't carry no more than 25 out with you, shells. Mm-hmm. But you can walk back and get more. I'm like, I, I'm over the stage to where I have to shoot my limit. If I can't mm-hmm. hit seven birds with 25 shells... Right. I'm not shooting a limit. So yeah. I'm like, what a limit? I put my last shell in. And I'm like, okay, got to make this one count. And I could tell it's because we haven't been hunting the refuges as much where you're taking those kind of shots and you're just you're just not used to those kind of shots as much anymore. So I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. And I don't know if that's not a bad same... thing. No, it's, it's not a bad not. thing. Uh, I don't know if this is the same with you, but one thing that my my shooting took a huge leap forward after a year or two of the shot cam, because you yes, can watch yes. exactly. I was missing, I was overleading birds way more than I thought. Really? Um, and after I did a year or two with shot cam, my shooting went, it, it, it got so much better. Because you can directly sure. see what you're doing. Oh, I know. Same for me. I it, That, picking shots more, and more so the shot cam is, like you said, I was... Part of that was because of my sight, but I realized once I put the bigger sight on my gun, it was like overnight fixed, but I would have never known that without the shot cam, that I was shooting over and behind birds. So I cleaned up and put a bigger bead that caused me to drop my gun down more, mm-hmm. and then I put the lead in front. It was like overnight my shooting averages went way up. Right. So I'll say those of you that um, don't keep shooting percentage, if it's something that you're interested in doing, it's certainly fun. The best thing about it, and again, we talked about this on Titus's podcast episode, is that one, if you get into that and, and you enjoy it, you're going to start limiting your third shells and your wounded loss is going to drop off dramatically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, it just will because your shot yeah. selection becomes better. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. My, I'm starting to get, be of the opinion that Washington and Idaho might possibly be the two best states in the lower 48. It's Nebraska, Elliot. I'll tell you, Matt. Matt has. <laughs> I'm just being stupid. Matt has in Nebraska has put on a couple. I'd like to look at his numbers because he has put on a couple good years as well. His last two years, like now, he's not in the nowhere in the five range, um, like you are. But he has put some birds down in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah I. Incredible. I don't know how. I, I don't know how he's not. But I do know he saves a lot of hunts back. So maybe because I mean, you watch the shooting. I I show my misses too. Some people say they want some more misses. I'm like, dude, I showed you all my misses. I'm not <laughs> trying to hide anything. I'm, I'm that good. Through, <laughs> I'm not blowing through a box of shells. I wish, I wish I would have the hunt that I shot 25 shells to get my limit. You don't even want to know what that was on. I was on <laughs> stupid shovelers, Elliot. That was the uh, of all things you don't want to waste ammo on is a stinking shoveler. But we were committed to shooting only 14 Drake shovelers, and it was blowing uh. like 35 miles an hour. I mean, not to make excuses. I I want to say it was a win, but it because right before that, 
right before the wind kicked off, I was three for three. <laughs> so that tells you how bad I was shooting. I wish I would have had yeah. that video on hunt, but it was pouring so hard. I'm like, just to change my batteries would have probably ruined my GoPro, yeah. you know, to get water down in there. So I ended up, I was so bummed because I, to me, that that's the hunt everybody's looking for on YouTube, right? Or right. King Drake shovelers. I would but, shoot more shovelers if they looked like California shovelers because your shovelers are right, beautiful. Yeah. I'd have no problems yeah. with those. I just don't like, yeah. here a lot of the drakes, when they come through, is mostly like November-ish. And yeah. those drakes, like, that are half bloom, they're gross looking. The, yeah. the females oh, yeah. are okay, but they're just kind of like dirty and they're just not appealing ducks. They're not. No, I, I know what you're talking about because in the early season, it's the same way with us. But like you said, you get those ones that are just so, so white. Um, that You know what? The thing about that is, is I just set a lot of, a lot of goals this year, a lot of, like a lot of just challenges, challenges mm-hmm. myself, you know, and thinking, oh, this will be easy challenge, like shoot 14 Drake shovelers. That's, we can do that pretty easy. And things that you think are pretty easy, you are hunting wild game. And it's right. not as easy as you think it is. Yeah. And even though there's some places you can go to, there's an abundance of shovelers, for instance, that's not as easy as you think it is. Cause I mean, you still got to get them in range. You still got to be where they want. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed putting a lot of different challenges out there for myself this year. Some I was successful and some I wasn't. Um, I tried to on the vet hunt. I went, went to try and go shoot seven Drake cinnamon teal and I uh, didn't make it happen. I actually, it was, they were there, but there was just not enough hunters hunting to push birds around believe it or not you almost want hunters sometimes but yeah yeah i mean it's just a challenge it's it's fun to challenge yourself you know it certainly is um last thing i want to ask you about is i know rocky's pup um what's your friend that has rocky's pup kelly kelly and the name of the dog is well kelly kelly's the dog's name and nathaniel okay nathaniel is the owner how did how did that go this year? I don't know how many. I know I watched a video or two. Or I know I watched Kelly's first hunt, maybe even the second. But how did Kelly progress retrieving this year? She did really good. I could probably text him and get the numbers pretty soon. But I want to say, I want to say, Elliot, she got like 150 plus. Wow. Right, close to 200 retrieves this year. He tracked them. I wow. told him, I go, dude, Nathaniel, you got to track them. And I think they were tracking our shots. I'm trying to get these young guys to yeah. go with that same mindset. Was he hunting a lot without but, you? Uh, yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, because really it's him, his dad, and his brother that are they're, they're their partners, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and we all, none of us, them or us, me and Tom's like to hunt in big groups. So we don't, unless, so me and Nathaniel will hunt together, say Jake, which is his dad's not hunting or his brother's not hunting. We'll, we'll hunt together quite a bit. And she has done really good we this off season i believe we're gonna get her uh lined up with hand signals and all that elliot i can't believe the biggest thing is i cannot believe how much better her nose on her first season was or is than rockies mm-hmm. she has found them so many birds they're just ecstatic about they just they knew it and seen it with rocky but to have your own dog Finding your birds you couldn't find that fall right. in these tulies, they're just, uh, they sound like school kids talking about <laughs> their favorite candy. I mean, they're just like, I yeah. can't believe this. We would have never found this bird. That was a Drake Mallard we would have lost. And I'm like, think, and I told them, I go, think about the birds you're saving too. Right. Think about how more much more ethical you are now because you, uh, you know, I know people that have different thoughts and whatever, but 
Some say, okay, if you shot that one, you lost one, you can't shoot another bird. That's I. That's great. That's, but you know, there a lot of people are still going to shoot another bird to make yeah. up for that lost one. So yeah, um, yeah, and that's not happening now because the dog is finding those birds. You know, it's I'm so happy for him. I I'm I am just so impressed with her nose and her ability. There's little things that like if if I put like you said, kind of Elliot. There's some things I cut out with her because it's not my dog. It's Nathaniel's, and I don't want people saying anything. Right. But there's something she's got to work on, and it's just she's a young dog, you know, just like all of our dogs. Even to this day, I got to work on stuff with Rocky in the offseason because maybe mm-hmm. he got lazy with. So there's a, there's a few things, but by far she has done so great and um, very good. No, she's, got, she's really got to figure it out because they put her on a lot of birds. So That's it's great. all those opportunities that help her learn. That's really cool. I don't know yeah. if you know this or not, but I am starting a second podcast. I've actually recorded two episodes of it um, with Chris Jobman as the host. Oh, really? So, yeah, it's going to be the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. I'm just kind of producing oh, wow. it and setting up all the outlines, and then he's the content. So I'm so excited about it, just being able to spend that much time picking his brain, asking him questions. And we're going to have on, I'm, I'm, I guarantee we'll have on Chris Aiken at some point, And we're going to have all these guests. And just imagine getting Chris Aiken, Chris Jobin in the same place and just oh. like, okay guys, just talk. Yeah, yeah. Just talk. <laughs> I, I would love to hear that. Right. I would love to hear yeah. that. It, we're gonna start talk dropping about episodes. They normally wouldn't talk to you about. Yeah, yeah. Or have like a round table like Freddie King and those two guys and yeah. I, it'd just be like a fly on the wall. There's the amount wow. of knowledge between like Chris Jobin and Chris Aiken, because they're two of the premier trainers in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers uh, that as far as the hunt test that Flatlander Kennels has put up, right. as far as yeah, it's like if you really got into the specific numbers of accolades, uh, I don't know. It's, I won't make this statement outright. It would be if not the number one kennel in America, one of the top as far as numbers mm-hmm. of grand passes. Uh, I mean, and I don't know what Chris Aiken's numbers are, but I know that he's one of the premier because he's kind of your guy. You you know him, and I've never mm-hmm. met him. He's like one of the premier trainers in North America. And so I'm just, yeah. I can't believe you, but tell you how excited I am just to have access to, right. to these guys. It's going to up my training game like crazy. Mm. And, and Y'all, so, totally. So are you, so he's hosting it, but you're on there with them every time, right? Yeah. I'm doing all the back work. I'm coming, I'm, I'm doing all, all, all he has to do is show up cause he's so busy. All he's got to do, we meet once a month and we do two episodes and he just has to show up. We talk about what the um, subject's going to be. I come up with the outline. I take care of all the, the legwork, and he's the host of it. And that's why I'm mm. just producing it. But I'm still there talking a little bit. And, but, it's yeah, it's, I approached him. I'd wow, love to do some, some awesome. video stuff at some point, too, because I just think yeah. there's, a, there's a void of good content. It's Because it's, a, it's such a niche of a niche. You know, right, it's like right. dog guys. There's just not enough of them. Like you, uh, for me, I don't know about you. I put out dog content about Georgian that does rarely does well on YouTube because mm-hmm. there's just not that many guys. Yeah, but so there's kind of a lack of that information. Honestly, I feel like right. Yeah, there. and there's a Elliot. I think there's a lot of people looking for it in a way. The guys that are looking for it, I agree. Because all my old dog train stuff, which I'm no dog trainer. I mean, mm. by any stretch of the imagination. But there, but those videos from Rocky are still getting so much, and I always get weekly. Mine never do. My, I, I need to watch yours and see how you're doing because mm. mine never. I do don't very think well. it's how I'm doing him. I think it, maybe it's the thumbnail. 
it, so you see yeah. a puppy on there, you probably just, I don't right. know. Mine just I have no idea well. what. I like doing them. The but... ones with Kelly haven't done as well by any means. So, But I think part of the reason we both do them is just to look back and maybe, right. at least me, yeah. you learn or figure stuff out. Well, ultimately, I still put out content because it's fun. That's, yeah. I mean, I'm, I am pushing hard towards making waterfowl media my sole income and it's growing i've got a lot of fingers out in a lot of areas which is why i'm trying to diversify so much but in the end i'm doing it because it's fun right and i want to make some videos of training videos it's fun to do Mm -hmm. i like watching i like making i like editing i'm i'm more motivated with making content now than i've been in years quite honestly Um, just because i'm having fun i'm having fun with the podcasting i'm having fun i'm just having fun with it yeah Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Yeah. Well, I think that about does it. Um, tell people again where they can find you and, and get a hold of your content. Yeah, you can if you want to watch us on YouTube, we do all kinds of stuff. You can check out Mid Valley Mercenaries. And then our podcast, um, we have tons of guests, tons of guests. Elliot, we just did a good one if you guys want to listen to that one, uh, The MBM Show. And uh, you can check us out on Instagram and Facebook as well under Mid Valley Mercenaries. That's pretty much everything we got. You've got the Instagram algorithm figured out because it's like you. No, <laughs> compared to me, you do. If you look at subscribers versus posts, because you're you've got you've got some high end photography going now. That's a whole well, area and that's, we didn't even that's talk what about. fixed. That's what fixed my. I think that's what helped a lot. Honestly, as soon as I had my friend help me with pictures, and he just kind of let me go and said, "Here you go," and it actually yeah. did help me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're coming up with some cool stuff. And before we take off, guys, if you want to get extra bonus content of the North American Waterfowler podcast and support what I'm doing, it's over at patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting, which will give you access to the freelance hunt stats site. It'll get you entered into the hunt giveaway year three. So go and check that out. But this has been episode number 12 of the North American Waterfowler podcast. We'll see you on the next